the Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to the twelve, A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It's enough for the disciple to be like the teacher, and the slave to be like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, because nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing is secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot fear kill the soul. Rather, fear those who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for one penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of so much more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Because I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life lose it, and those who lose their lives for my sake will find it. The Gospel of the Lord. When it comes down to it, there's a, there's a lot we could say about this passage, and, and if you wanted me to preach for an hour, I could say everything, or at least start to say everything there is to say about it, but when we boil it down to its essence, what Jesus is saying is what I said before with the kids, is that uh, resistance, conflict, rejection is inevitable. And yet, how much more inevitable is God's love for us? How much more inevitable is uh, God's truth coming out and God's love winning in the end? Now, <clears throat> there's something really funny that can happen when we... Uh, believe and know that resistance is inevitable. I mean, we can plan for it. We can think in advance about how we want to respond to the inevitable resistance, rejection, opposition, however you want to call it. Now, I've learned a lot in my own life about how I generate, I can generate my own resistance. Essentially, by being obnoxious, I uh, create the conditions in which others are obnoxious back. <laughs> uh, I am still learning how 
to not generate my own resistance. And yet, part of what Jesus is saying is that there is no way, there's no perfect way to go through this life and to love in the way that God loves, to uh, put more love into the world uh, just as God calls us to do. There's no way to do that without people opposing us, without people uh, rejecting it, not liking the consequences of that love, not being able to, to, not having the capacity to receive that love. There's no perfect way. Conflict is inevitable. That conflict is going to be painful, splitting our own families. And in Jesus's time, the family was way more important than it is now uh, because it was uh, it was everything. It was your life, uh, your your wealth, your your livelihood, um, your name, your reputation. It was it was all the family. Um, so being a new kind of a family, calling each other brother and sister in Christ, I mean, that's just a sign of the new family that Jesus means to create uh, in response to the rejection of the world. Okay, but we can plan for rejection. We can plan for opposition. <clears throat> One of the, my, the best tools I ever learned in my life was active, non-defensive listening. Now, there's a whole lot of tools in the toolbox of non-defensive listening, but my absolute favorite one uh, has a funny name. It's called fogging, but here's how it goes. <clears throat> Somebody criticizes me. Well, that's a dumb black shirt. And I say, you're right. I'm wearing a shirt. That's fogging. It's agreeing with truth in your critic. critic uh, your critic has said something that's true, um, even if not everything is true, and you can agree with what is true. I don't agree that this is a dumb black shirt. I kind of like this black shirt, but it is true that I'm wearing a shirt. Now, it's not just knowing the words to say. It's having the the peace in our spirits and in the calm in our bodies to be able to access those words when we need them, to say them in a way that is uh, not sarcastic or etc. Fogging has been the doorway um, in a lot of ways for me, in a lot of instances, for avoiding escalating conflict, uh, avoiding adding my own fuel to the fire. And in some cases, of letting my critics become my teachers. Now, that's kind of an ideal type situation. Jesus promises us that, and we see it in his own life, his arrest and death and crucifixion, that a lot of the times, it, it doesn't matter how we say it. It doesn't matter how calm our spirits are. It doesn't matter uh, <clears throat> how many non-defensive listening tools we have in our toolbox or how perfectly we deploy them. There will still be resistance. I mean, you know, if we look at Jesus's own movement through his arrest and crucifixion and rejection, 
Number one, he saw it coming. He knew it was going to happen. He knew that it was inevitable. Uh, and number two, he there he had a spirit of calm. And in the Gospel of Luke, we see him even forgiving the people who are crucifying him. You know, that says something about his deep uh, calm and deep peace and deep connection uh, from with God and that peace that, uh, you know, is beyond us. Maybe you felt that peace come upon you in times of uh, necessity like that. But, you know, I, I put it in this context, and I told this story in, in the Bible study for this week, uh, and so forgive me if you're hearing it again. <clears throat> in 2005, um, the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, of which St. Paul is a part, uh, was facing a, a critical decision. For four years, uh, the whole ELCA, congregations, Bible studies, had been studying the Bible and had been praying together and talking together about gay clergy. Could gay clergy uh, be partnered? That was the language then, because there was no gay marriage, or not nationally anyway, uh, nowhere at the time, actually. Um, but uh, <clears throat> there were many in the church who were advocating for a space to be opened up so that um, gay and lesbian people um, could love who they were going to love and um, be in committed relationships with them and um, pursue their calling um, to ordain ministry in this church. In 2005, it was, uh, if you were gay, you had to promise to be celibate. <clears throat> and so in 2005, there was a big, you know, like a, uh, like a congregational meeting, but on the scale of the whole country uh, of Lutherans. Uh, it's called a, a church-wide assembly. It was in Orlando, Florida. And um, friends, uh, colleagues, uh, other classmates, um, they said, hey, we, we got to go. Uh, we got to go to this assembly and uh, be part of those people who are in a, in a nonviolent way and uh, in, uh, protesting, advocating, uh, encouraging a change in policy that would open the door for um, partnered gay clergy or how we would say it now with married gay clergy. Now, that is the work of putting more love into the world. I understood it deeply as the calling of Jesus, um, just as Jesus sent his disciples to uh, raise the dead and to heal the sick and to proclaim the good news. Um, I felt confident and convicted that this was the calling of God, not just for me, but for the whole church. And resistance was inevitable. Um, Conflict was inevitable. And that's indeed what was happening already before we got to that 2005 assembly. It's what happened at that assembly. You know, but I, I remember, and I've told this story once before, um, I, I was sort of a tag along um, to this, this event. Uh, if if my, my, my friends, my colleagues, my classmates had not invited me, um, and had not arranged everything, 
um, I, I, pro- I wouldn't have gone on my own. I was by no means a, a leader, uh, uh, even among this small group of friends and colleagues, nor in the much longer um, movement uh, within the, the church or the ELCA. Um, I, w- I just had a bit part in this whole thing. But while I was there, I met this man, uh, a, a gay man. Uh, we sat and had a conversation. I've never, I don't remember his name and I've never seen him uh, since. But I was just blown away by his um, sense of compassion. He said, I know what it's like to have my church taken away from me. And so I can empathize uh, with these folks who oppose me uh, and who oppose what I want to see the church do, uh, who feel like their church is being taken away from them. Well, uh, the reason this 2005 churchwide assembly was so important was because after those four years of study, the church was finally going to make a decision. Which, which way are we going to go here? And, um, uh, you know, that, that the, the very first meeting, there's a, I mean, usually it's kind of pro forma, like at the very beginning of the assembly, we're going to agree that these are the rules that are going to guide this assembly. That was, that, that debate uh, was heated, contentious, went long into the night. Uh, boy, uh, because the rules were going to have a big impact on what got passed later on uh, or what didn't get passed. And so the group of us, um, uh, myself included, you know, we were there to um, stand in vigil and prayer in the visitors section uh, because we weren't allowed to vote. We had no voice at the assembly, but we were also present in the in the hotel, um, oh, oh, starting conversations in the hallways or over meal times, and um, that we had a, a room where people could come and um, you know look at the rainbow stoles on display and read stories of uh, gay clergy. <clears throat> Try to humanize, you know, because at that time it was uh, it was this debate about an issue, a theological thing, like a. It was all this abstract business, and we were there to represent that this was human beings involved and um, real lives being harmed uh, and real people in pain. <clears throat> well, about two-thirds of the way in the assembly, finally the vote, it was coming to a vote. Um, the, the, the proposition, the, the motion that the church change its policy and open the door for gay clergy who are married to serve as pastors. And um, the night before that happened, we had a training. There was an organization called Soul Force. Um, they were um, kind of experts, uh, long practiced and experienced in nonviolent, um, kind of love your, your enemy style of, of change making and uh, in, in when need be of uh, a protest. And so there was a plan. Um, there was a plan for what happens if, the, if that motion passes and the change that we hoped for happens. There was a plan for what happens if that gets voted down. The plan was if it gets voted down, we were going to break the rules of the assembly. Uh, we were going to enter the floor of the assembly where only people who were there to vote could be. And we were going to stand, just simply stand, say nothing, do nothing else, stand facing the assembly um, to try to put a face to 
this conversation to represent that we're talking about people and to stand for God's love. Um, and so part of the training was, here's the deal, everybody. Um, the people who are in charge of the assembly already know what's going to happen. We've been in conversation with them for months. Um, they know what our plan is, whether this motion passes or fails. And um, all of the bishops, the 65 synodical bishops, they all know. And so their delegations all together being like a thousand or twelve hundred people, um, they can prepare their people. So everyone knows what's going to happen. It's sort of choreographed. <clears throat> but you need to know that if you cross this line where we open the barrier and you walk into the assembly floor, you need to be prepared to be arrested. We don't know what's going to happen next. Um, we have the presiding bishop's assurances that he doesn't want that to happen. But we don't know what everyone in the, in the assembly is going to do. And I remember the next day when that motion to create change failed, which we were all so disappointed by. You know, I was there because um, there were people I loved who were harmed by the teaching of the church that said, gay people were an abomination or, or, you know, you couldn't live out your full self and love who you loved uh, if you were gay and wanted to be loved and saved by God. Um, I had a roommate in college who attempted suicide several times because he identified as gay and um, the church that he was a part of couldn't find, and the church that he so loved and found so much identity and consolation in couldn't make space for him and said that God couldn't make space for him. <clears throat> there were people I knew who were being harmed by the policies of the church and the teaching of the church. And, and I took that, the defeat of that motion as a defeat uh, of God's love. But kind of like Jesus was saying in Matthew, you know, all of us there, we tried to hold on to the hope that Jesus proclaims in, in this gospel that we heard, that um, even though um, conflict and resistance and failure is inevitable, that God's love is inevitable, and that the truth of God's love will come out. There's no hiding it. Um, and in the assurance of that, we could be a lot calmer than we would have been otherwise. We could access a love for our enemies, or, or try to, or at least pray for it. Um, and so I remember standing, because um, we were sort of, we were lined up, uh, prepared to go break the rules and cross this line. And um, I remember thinking about my dad, my dad who opposed homosexuality in every way, who watched the 700 Club and Pat Robertson and, you know, um, believed what they said when they equated homosexuality with the occult and with um, not Nazis and just the worst forms of the gay agenda and all this nonsense. Um, I knew that stepping across that line meant stepping away from my dad in some way, meant um, there would be this conflict that Jesus talks about of, of 
turning father against son and son against father. And I didn't know what, what would, what would my dad do? What would my dad think? What would he say um, when he learns what I'm about to do here? But I tell you, despite the anxiety about what would happen next, both in that moment, would we be arrested? And what would my dad do? Um, stepping across that line was one of the most empowering things that's ever happened in my life. And even more than that, the whole protest became such an eruption of love in that assembly. Boy, I'm getting emotional just remembering it. It was such a powerful moment. Um, I was just talking with somebody who was on the other side um, at that event. They were part of the assembly. Um, and we were remembering together how, you know, the, the group of us, you know, it wasn't just a bunch of young radicals. It was, it was young people. It was old people. It was parents of gay children. It was grandparents of gay children. Um, and when we went up there and we just stood maybe a hundred of us in front of the assembly of maybe 1,200, um, what the presiding bishop did was not call the police, but called all of us to sing. That was a common thing. Uh, it still is if you ever get the chance to go to a church-wide assembly. Um, we take breaks by singing. We, uh, we come back together by singing. If we just need to stand up and stretch, we'll stand up and stretch and sing. And so he invited us to sing. And while we were singing, there were people from the assembly who brought up chairs for the elderly people who couldn't stand. There were people in the assembly who brought songbooks to us so that, that we, the protesters, could sing along. And I didn't do much singing because I was just standing up there weeping, you know, amazed by the power of the moment and the power of God's love and how kind of the fierceness of our love for our, the gay and lesbian people we loved in our lives and the, the power of love on the other side of, in the assembly. Um, boy, um, you know, everything that I understand about community organizing kind of comes out of that moment uh, of, of what organizing, community organizing can do and how it can be such a sign of God's love in the world even when we lose which is what happened. We lost. But in another way, we won because um, even this, the, the person I was talking to today confirmed that before that protest, there was really just some very hateful things said from microphones speaking against the, the change. And uh, after, there was a lot less of that. What before had just been this abstract thing, finally there was a face. And finally there was a sense among everyone, whether they were for or against, that what we were talking about was people. People, not an idea. You know, beloved children of God, um, brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. And that alone was a monumental shift, even if the policy did not immediately change. And so... You know, the funny thing is that and how parliamentary procedure and everything uh, moved, the, you know, what the assembly ultimately decided was not to change the policy, but also not to not change it, which seems crazy. But there was this basic, this little 
opening created. And maybe, hopefully, that opening was a result of the, the opening of, that God's love created through that moment of, of protest. You know, love, love pushes. Love is tenacious. Love uh, doesn't just lay down and die. Jesus didn't just lay down and die. It's his tenacity um, and his, his uh, persistence in loving um, and the, the firmness and forcefulness in loving that led to the cross ultimately. But Jesus promises that God's love is bigger and God's love will win. And thank God we have seen in our lifetimes that the uh, change, not just in the church, the, 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 in 2009, the ELCA said, you know, if you're partnered uh, and gay, you can be a pastor. Um, and shortly after that, then the, the whole church uh, or the whole nation, you know, in, the, in response to the um, Supreme Court um, ruling that gay marriage is, is legal. Uh, it's a beautiful thing, uh, the movement of God's love in the world. And, and just think, if that can happen, how much more in the very end will God's love win out in the end? How much more will the truth of God's love come out? And all who uh, deny and reject and doubt um, be, be calmed and convinced and caught up in this great movement of love that is creation, that is Jesus and his redemption, that is the Holy Spirit poured out into the world. And so I want you to hold on to that with all you've got. Um, when you hit disappointing moments, uh, when you start to doubt, is, is what I'm doing here trying to, to put more love into the world? Is this making any impact? Is this making a difference? Hold on to the promise that these feelings are inevitable and that opposition is inevitable and pain in that opposition is inevitable and so much more inevitable is God's presence with us as we're on that road so much more is God's uh, uh, God going to uh, uh, through the power of the cross and the resurrection which doesn't make any sense sometimes but through that power is going to bring about a victory a transformation a complete change in love now, I have to tell you that I, last night I was really disappointed. I heard something about COVID news in Clinton, so I went on to the Clinton Herald website, and, and what did I see? That St. Paul, our Hope in Action team, failed to receive a grant to cover the rest of the bathroom project. Oh, so sad and mad, and ah. And I've just got to hold on. Uh, this whole Our whole team has got to hold on to to hope, the hope that love is inevitable, truth will come out, uh, God will bring about the change of heart that we're working for. Hold on to that hope yourself, and thanks be to God, to a God who never gives up on loving us, even though we often can't receive, don't want to receive that love, especially when it's um, reaching out for our enemies. Boy. God loves you, God loves this world, and will never stop. Amen. Thanks be to God.